Good morning, Sterling. I'm glad half of you are awake. I haven't even started preaching yet, and some of you are asleep. Oh man, it's uh, good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, you open them up to the book of Mark. We're going to be continuing through the book of Mark. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 25 is our text this morning. And I've got my phone up here. I normally don't, but I went for a run on Friday, and then I went for a swim at Gunnaby Beach. Friday's my day off, and I went for a swim, and I came out, and my, wa- watch, my waterproof watch was no longer waterproof. Uh, so I just don't want to run out of time. We've got communion today as well, so... I want to just make sure I keep track of it. So if you see me flicking on it, it's not because I've got something more important to do uh, this morning. If you had to head to your local library or your local bookstore this morning and go and browse the biography section, uh, you would find a number of different books on interesting people. Um, You would find books written about authors, books written about uh, uh, politicians, sports personalities, actress, actresses, musicians, you name it. And if you had to open up the context page of those books and see what the books were written about, there'd be many interesting things said about their lives, about uh, the adolescence period of their lives, uh, about the things that they did, special things that they were able to achieve. But a majority of those books, you'll find very scarce in those books, things written about their death. Um, And of course, there are exceptions to the rule in that, but even with regards to those exceptions, nothing can compare to what has been written about Jesus and his death. Uh, We could fill libraries up uh, with the amount of books that have been written about Jesus' death and resurrection. And and the book of Mark is no exception to this rule himself. He he writes a lot about Jesus' death. As we've said a couple of weeks ago, uh, we have been spending since chapter 11 in the book of Mark on the last week of Jesus' life. And today we find ourselves in a text where everything from here on out Every story, every word is connected to the death of Jesus. And so what are we going to learn through the remainder of Mark and what we have learned and will continue to learn and learn again today is that there is a centrality to Jesus' death, not only in its pages, but also there needs to be a centrality of Jesus' death in our lives. So keep that in mind as we read uh, the verses ahead. It says this, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at a table. A woman came with an alabaster flask an anoint, uh, of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who uh, said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, and Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and wherever you want, you can go and do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And they heard it, and they were glad and promised to give him money. 
and they sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, the disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at a table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is the one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man who, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born." And as they were eating, he took bread and, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank of it. And they said to them, this is my body of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Amen. As, as I said a little earlier, we are going to notice that every section of the remainder of the gospel of Mark is going to be connected to his death. And we see so in our, the start of our passage. We have the scribes and the chief priests wanting to kill Jesus. Now, this is not the first time we've seen this. We've seen this throughout the gospel of Mark as Jesus' ministry grew and as his popularity grew and his message became clearer and clearer. The scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests desperately wanted to kill Jesus, but they never could because it was never his time. And yet again, we find ourselves in a place where they want Jesus dead, but they have a problem before them. And this problem, as we see in verse 2, is that they have a feast that is going on and a particularly big feast in the Jewish calendar known as the Passover. And the reason why the Passover was a problem for the, Jews to, uh, for the Jewish leaders to, to kill Jesus was the Passover was a powder keg or a boiling pot ready to explode. Uh, you see, you've got to remember what the Passover was about. It was an important point in their calendar where Jews would gather from all around the world on this day in Jerusalem. So we had religious people who took seriously God's word coming into Jerusalem for a number of weeks to celebrate what God had done. But to celebrate what, particularly? To celebrate what God had achieved for them over the, Easter, uh, over the Exodus periods. If you remember the story, uh, the Israelites were enslaved uh, by Egypt. And as they were enslaved, God wants the people go, and so he sends Moses and Aaron to go and tell Pharaoh to let him go. He says no, and so he sends ten plagues. And nine plagues go by, and Pharaoh doesn't care. He will not let the people go. And so God sends the ultimate one, where he will send the angel who will fly over Egypt, and he will kill every firstborn. Barring the children and the members of the households, 
that were covered by the blood of the lamb that had been sacrificed and put over the door. If there was a blood that was uh, covered on the door posts of the house, the angel of death would ignore that house and would pass over them. And so the Israelites come and remember that the angel passed over them because they were covered by the blood of the lamb. And so they come to celebrate this. They sacrifice to God for the, the forgiveness of their sins. So it's a, it's a joyful celebration in one sense because God had done a great thing. But you've got to remember, as they arrive in Jerusalem, they can't help but see that Rome, who's oppressing them, is the new Egypt. And so they feel a hatred toward them. There's a, there's a real religious zealousness that is building up within them, zeal that is going on. And they're going, well, maybe we can show them how great our God is. Maybe again God will do the same thing. And so there's always on a knife edge whether or not Israel would go, turn into a riot or into a, a rebellion. And so during this time, during Passover, Rome would send multiple more soldiers in to try to keep the peace. And, and the leaders don't want this to happen either. They've got religious, they've got given some power by Rome to make sure that this happens. And so they are a bit concerned if they go and kill Jesus, who has healed many, who is seen by some as the Messiah, who is seen by others as a prophet, that they will cause a riot. So there's this much tension that is happening. For example... Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus tells an example of a riot that broke out in 49 AD on the fourth day of the feast of Passover. He writes this, he says, on the fourth day of the feast, a certain soldier let down his breeches and exposed his, his privy parts to the multitude, but which puts uh, those who saw him in a furious rage. So for some reason, a soldier decides he's going to flash the crowds and he does so, and everyone sees this as an incredible insult to them, to their family, to their nation, and to God. And there's a riot that breaks out. And Josephus will also record that thousands will be killed that day by the Roman soldiers. This is what the Jewish leaders are trying to avoid in this moment. They don't want anything to happen like this at all. So they've got this problem, and, and we see in verses 2 that they say, not during the feast. Let's not do it now. Let's, we, want to, we want to kill Jesus, but let's wait until everybody goes home and Jerusalem becomes quiet. And yes, Jesus may leave, but we'll find him. And then we will arrest him, and then we will kill him. But what happens in between, after that story, it seems that there is this woman who comes while Jesus is having supper with Simon the leper and his disciples. And she breaks an alabaster jar and pours the, the ointment on his head. Incredibly expensive, pure nard. It comes from a, a tree, a root from a tree that is only found in India. And we see in the text it was about 300 denarii, which is about a year's worth of wages. And she comes and she honors Jesus and she worships him by pouring this on his head. And the disciples become indignant. Now we see in the Gospel of John. That, it is only, uh, that this indignation towards this lady is led by Judas. Judas is incredibly upset, and John gives a bit of commentary on it and tells us why he's upset. is because he was in charge of the money bag, and he, wants, and he had his hand in the money bag, and he was having a, stealing some for himself. And so they are frustrated using the pious kind of response of, why didn't you give it to the poor, but actually Judas wanted to steal it. And this seems to be the straw that breaks the camel's back for Judas, and Judas will then head off to the scribes who want to kill Jesus but can't do it now. And he gives them an option. I will show you where he is. I will do it. And I will do it at night. Come and I will show you at nighttime when everyone is asleep. And that's what we see will happen 
is why all are asleep. Everyone's in their homes. In the, quietness of the, in the darkness of the night, they will come and arrest Jesus, trial him falsely, and the deed will nearly be done before that rooster crows the next morning. And so by the time people wake up, Jesus will be already carrying his cross up, the, uh, up on, to go get crucified. And so we see in the Gospel of Mark the death of Jesus, which has been pending, suddenly becomes imminent. It's just a matter of moments before he gets killed. And so what we see in this text, and, I want to, and brings me to my f- first point, is we see that there are two major responses to Jesus' death. We see it in Judas, and we see it in this woman. And this woman's name is Mary of Bethany. We see in the Gospel of John. So we have Judas and Mary. We have Judas who wants to go and betray Jesus. I've already given you one of the reasons why, because he wanted the money, and he gets frustrated that he can't have the money. But it seems a bit petty to go betray a friend just as once of experience. It's got to be more than that. You see, you've got to realize for Judas... Uh, Judas had, like the other disciples, assumed that being connected to the Messiah meant very different to what it was going to turn out to be. For Judas being connect, and the other disciples being connected to Jesus meant political power. It meant prosperity. It meant popularity. That's what the Messiah was going to achieve, an earthly kingdom. And for the last couple of months, what we see is that for Judas, uh, for Jesus has been preaching over and over and over again with clarity, not veiled, that he was going to be killed and he was going to die. And his teaching to his disciples was, was if you want to come and follow me, you're going to have to deal with a similar fate. <laughs> this, is very, this is very different to what Judas signed up for. And so here at this story, we have this example of this woman coming and, 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 and breaking this, this uh, anointment, ointment on Jesus, anointing his head. And so Judas is frustrated. One, he doesn't get the money. But yet again, Jesus starts talking about his death, doesn't he? Oh, this woman's done what is right. She's prepared me for beforehand for my burial. And Judas will there, as a result of this, go, I do not want anything more to do with this Jesus. And he will leave and go and betray him. But then on the other hand, you have Mary of Bethany. Now, who was Mary? Well, we don't know too much about Mary other than she was a follower of Christ. And she's not some random woman off the streets. But she is certainly a follower of Jesus and would have also heard that Jesus would have said over and over again that he must be rejected and killed. But the difference between Mary is she doesn't go, I have nothing, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. What she does is she goes and honors him with the most valuable thing that she has. She goes and takes this alabaster jar worth a year's worth of salary and anoints it on Jesus' head. So we have contrasting responses to the cross. We have Judas, who will reject Jesus, and we have Mary of Bethany, who will worship and honor Jesus because of his death. We have Judas, who will betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and we have this lady who will go and honor and worship him by giving him something worth 300 denarii, a year's worth of salary. We've got Judas, who, who goes and makes right with the political leaders of the day in order to earn some form of favor with them. And then we have Mary of Bethany, who is willing to be shamed and mocked by even Jesus' disciples as she worships him. These are two different responses to the cross. And I say that for us this morning because I want us to realize that these two responses are two very prevalent in today as well. What we see amongst people in this world is that it comes around the cross of Jesus that divides us about Christ. 
People don't dislike Jesus because he told us to love our neighbors. We love ourselves. People don't reject Christ because he tells them to treat others as you would like yourself to be treated or to love your enemies. These things the world loves, but what, where people break down on who Jesus is is the matter of what has happened on the cross. It is the cross that becomes folly to them. We see this in, in a passage in 1 Corinthians 1 verses 18. We see Paul writing here, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Or later in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23, it says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. Friends, I want to let you know that if you do not accept the death of Jesus, you're not a Christian this morning. It is only when we see the cross and see that it is the power of God to save us that salvation comes. You can accept Jesus for all the other things that he might have said. You could accept him for all the parables that he had taught or all the miracles that he was able to do. But if the cross is too brutal, too barbaric for you to accept and it is something that you reject, you reject Jesus as a whole like Judas did. Because it's only through the cross do we find the blood that is shed to apply, like we sung this morning, that salvation is obtained for us as sinners. It is only through the cross that we are able to see the wrath of God poured out on Christ, on Christ and no longer poured out on us. It is only through the cross that people who were the enemies of God now become sons and daughters of God. And so we can sing this morning, Lord, come into, come into our presence. Let us be with you because it is through Jesus alone that we are able to achieve this. Amen? It is only through the cross. Reject the cross and you reject Christ. Because otherwise he's just a moral teacher that would, that's just better than any other kind of motivational speaker. Without the cross, Jesus loses his importance. Without the cross, we do not become saved. The thing that divides the world on Jesus is not his teaching, but what he did on the cross. That what divides us. And, and I, I say that this morning because a Christian is someone who has seen it as beautiful, it's, has seen it as glorious, has seen it as the power of God to save them. But I say that for us because I realize as Christians as well that it is possible for us to, to know about the cross but get lose sight of it. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you know what I'm talking about that it's possible that the importance of what Jesus did on the cross loses its, loses its appeal. We can become at times wrongly, become too familiar with it. And so as the pastor preaches about the cross, yes, we get it. As we sing the songs about it, yes, we get it. Can we learn something new? The cross seems to lose a bit of its power. And, and I want to challenge us here and encourage us here not to lose sight of the importance of the cross and what Jesus has done. And we, we see that in, 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 our, in our text this morning. Again, the disciples led by Judas are livid with this, this woman. She has gone and wasted years with a salary. And I don't know if we, I think we give them a bit of, bit of a stick because they didn't understand what was going on in hindsight. But I mean, just take your average uh, salary in times that by 12, I don't know what that is for you. Uh, apparently, the average South African salary, according to the internet, is 258,000 rand a year. And she took 258,000 rand a year perfume and poured it on Jesus' head. <laughs> I 
I mean, if someone did that today, we'd be like, whoa, lady, that was a bit excessive. Like, if you did that with 2,000 rand, I'm, I'm also questioning your, how much money you owe. She did, she did, she did it with 250,000 rand in, in, in South African context. And, and so they go, oh, what about the poor? What about this? What about that? Rightfully so. And I think we would all put ourselves into the, the same shoes, saying the same things. And here Jesus comes into her defense and responds with these remarkable words. He says this. He says, but Jesus said to them, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. You see, what Jesus is not saying to us here is that we do not have to take care of the poor. Sometimes we hear, I hear people say that. I've even said it myself. No, no, no. And the poor are always with us. So it kind of gives you a bit of an out, Right? And Jesus is not saying that at all. He's not saying that we shouldn't take care of the poor. And in actual fact, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 15, verse 11, and it says this. It says, for they will never cease to be poor in the land. And it continues, therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother and to the needy and to the poor in your land. So Jesus is no way concluding for us that we do not have to take care of the poor. And there's no ways we can look at Jesus' life and Jesus' teaching and think that he had no compassion on the poor at all. So to model our lives and follow Christ, we would have to do a similar thing. So what is Jesus saying here? What Jesus is trying to say here is that more important and more necessary than bread is himself. What's more important than water and more necessary for a person than water is himself. He is more important than those things. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus found bread and water important for people. Again, we see an example of this in John 6. Jesus is, has been teaching for a number of days, and there's this mass crowd that has gathered, and he sees about 5,000 men that didn't include the women and children that were there. And he has compassion on them, and he will feed them with five loaves and two fish. And it's the compassion that stirs Christ to do that. He feeds them. But then they perceive that this is the guy that could give us food all the time. And so they want to make him king in the Gospel of John. And so Jesus heads up onto the mountain, and he goes off, and he sneaks away before they can make him king. And then he heads with his disciples across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Everybody else wakes up the next morning and goes, well, it's breakfast time. Where's Jesus? I'm a little hungry. And they can't find him. So they hop into their boats and they go and find Jesus on this other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they say, Lord, we've been looking for you everywhere. And he says to them, you've been, you have not been searching me, but you've been searching your full of loaves. And they say, and, and he gets into a long conversation with them. And, and eventually he says this in, in John 6, verses 33 and 35. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now they think in manna. They think in manna in the Exodus. That's what they're thinking here. And, and they say, sir, give us this bread always. They still don't get what he's talking about. And he goes, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What he's saying is, you need me. You need me more than anything else that I can give you. You need to eat and drink of me. It is in me that there is life. There is me that there is satisfaction. The, the giving of bread is necessary so that you might live again for tomorrow, but it will one day you will eventually die. The giving of Jesus will mean that you will live for all eternity. Amen? It is through Christ that we live for always. 
And so, so let's just bring that back to, to, to the poor here. We, we give food because God has called us to, but we never neglect in giving Christ. Because Jesus is the most valuable, important thing that we have. And therefore, we preach Jesus and Him crucified. Because it is there that life is found. And so it's a both and for us here that is important for us. We don't, we don't neglect the poor and our responsibility there, but we make sure, man, we preach Jesus. Because what we want is ultimately them to be next to Christ at the wedding supper of the Lamb and when there's a feast going on and they will be eating but with Jesus. That's what we ultimately want. Because he is the most important and valuable thing. But now let's take that context away from the poor for a moment. And, and I want to say that even you in your current financial situation, whatever that might be, the most important thing that you have, church, is Jesus. He is the most important thing that you have. He's more valuable than anything else. And I, and I want to ask the question this morning, have you lost sight of that? Have you been uh, distracted by the things of this world? Have you been distracted by the values of, of this world? The things that they say are important. Have you lost sight of this wonderful Jesus? Have you fallen into the lie of Ma- that Jesus warns us about in, in Matthew 6 verse 24 when he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the, the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Have you, have you thought maybe I can serve Jesus but also gain the world and gain what it has to offer? Maybe I can be Mary and Judas this morning. Jesus says you cannot. Don't fall into the trap. But, but may I say that the importance of Christ, again, and I want to bring it back to the cross, the importance of Jesus cannot be understood without the cross. It cannot when we speak about the cross to those who don't know him, uh, Jesus, we have to speak about the cross. We have to. We see, we see it in, in, in Mark chapter 14, verses 9, in, in the passage, Jesus here says, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of, uh, of her. Why? Is because she's special? Well, she certainly does something remarkable. We can acknowledge that. But why will she be spoken about throughout the world? As the gospel advances and is successful and the, the, the church proclaims Jesus to the world, why is she mentioned? Because she is connected to Jesus' death. The gospel is about Jesus' dying. You can't preach the gospel without Jesus dying on the cross. And so she will always be mentioned and always be spoken about because Jesus' death is central to this. You see, when we share Jesus to the world, we're not just sharing love your enemies or uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself or uh, Jesus loves the little children. Those are wonderful things we talk about for sure. But when we share the gospel, we always have to talk about Jesus' death because, again, without the shedding of his blood, we cannot be washed clean. Those who don't need, know Jesus cannot be saved if they do not see with clarity that there has a substitute on the cross for them who has died for their sins and that they need to be made right with God. And the only way that is possible is through this Jesus. That is through this Jesus that they are reconciled. And again, for us, we need to imply, uh, apply that to our lives 
If we've lost the importance of Jesus, it's probably because we've taken our eyes off the cross. We've lost the wonder of the cross. It doesn't stir up affections in our heart like it did for Mary of Bethany. It's the cross. It's at the cross that we are able to have affections and the wonder of Jesus stirred up in our hearts. So one of the things that I suggest we do this is what we need to do for this is not only preach the cross to others, but may I say you need to preach it to yourself as well. Now that might sound a bit new agey, preach to yourself, right? But may I say one, that you do it all the time to yourself, you preach to yourself all the time, you, w- you woke up this morning and thoughts flooded your head that you did not even th- think about. It just, it just came, your things and stresses and worries came into your mind. You preach to yourself about the struggles that you will face this coming week and you, you start to say how difficult it is gonna be and you, you preach about how hard it's gonna be to overcome. You preach about how you are underappreciated and undervalued by those around you and they don't see how significant you are. You preach to yourself of, oh, if I had these things, then life would be more important. But what I'm trying to say to you is don't let those rule your thoughts, but rather let the gospel rule your thoughts. And preach to yourself the cross. We see that, maybe you need a biblical example of this. In in Psalm 42 verse 11, what does the psalmist say? He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? He preaches to his soul. (laughs) Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. He speaks to his soul. He, he, he talks about the salvation of God and where his hope is found. He reminds himself of truth. And those of us post the cross, we get to do a similar thing. We get to wake up every morning and go, if God is for me, and I can see He's for me through the cross, then who can be against me today? We, we preach to ourselves the, the gospel truth that if, if God was, if Jesus was rejected on the cross for me so that I might know God, then, then the Father will not reject me today. If, if the, the love of God was so great that Jesus would suffer such a brutal death on the cross because he loved me, then, then surely now that he is risen, he will not forsake me or his love will not disappear we, we remind ourselves of the wonderful truths of the gospel. And you see how that changes the way you live? You see how that, that helps you to, to find what's valuable. If, if God would give me his son, then surely he will give me all things pertaining to life and godliness. I do not have to worry about today. I do not have to worry about tomorrow because the God who holds it in his hands is the one who's died for me. It gives you hope. It stirs up a a sense of resilience behind us in a world that seems to be breaking and lost. We as Christians get to have a fervor, we get to have an endurance, and we get to live not because we are great, but because the God who is for us is great, and we know He's great because of the cross. Amen? That's beautiful. And, and, And we as Christians waver so quickly when we allow the cross to become the Sunday school message we tell the children. May we never lose sight of its beauty and of its wonder. Because that's where we find the way we ought to live. That's where it happens. And so we preach to ourselves, but, but I, I don't reach the time. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to rush through this. Sorry. I've got five minutes to do a whole point and do your communion. All right. 
we preach to ourselves this morning through the Lord's Supper. We let these elements, as we hold on to these elements of the bread and the, and the grape juice, Jesus says, do this in, 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 in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 22, do this in remembrance of me. And as you hold on to these elements, I want you to be reminded of the beauty of the gospel. Let these elements preach to you the wonders of the cross. As you hold on to these elements, let it stir up a thanksgiving that Jesus would die for you. May you are you discontent this morning with your life? May you thank him until there's contentment in your heart. Hold on to these elements, and as you hold on to these elements, you, you realize that Jesus has bore your sin in his body. We see that in, in 1 Peter 2 verse 24, he says, he bore our sins in his body, but not only has he taken our sin, but he has placed the righteousness of God. So as you stand before him today or sit before him and you hold on to these elements, know that you are right with God, not because of the work that you have done, but because of the righteousness that has been applied to you through the death of Jesus. Do not feel condemned, not feel, don't, don't feel outcast by him because you aren't good enough. You were never good enough. You are able to enter through because of, the, of Jesus. Tell yourself you are right with God through Christ. Don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. You were never going to achieve it. It is through the cross. Preach that to yourself this morning. Preach to yourself this morning as well that your sins are forgiven, that the past is gone as the enemy recalls all that you have done wrong. No, it is through the blood of Jesus I am forgiven. And if there's something you have not repented by, repent and know it is forgiven because the blood has been applied. As you hold on to this, know that it was the start of a new covenant as we see in the text. It was the start of a new covenant. And, and a covenant is a fixed relationship is a relationship that has been fixed through the death of Jesus. And, and, and I know that we are faithless at times and unfaithful to him, but he is always faithful. Know that he loves you and he has not once forsaken you at any point as you hold that, remind yourself, he loves me. He loves me. He is with me through the turmoil that I've been through, the turmoil I'm going through and what we'll go through. He loves me. And as you hold this, may it stir up hope in your hearts that the things of this world are not the end. But he promises in our text this morning that he will drink and eat with us again. And we have an eternal hope. And so we can say with Paul, for I consider the suffering of this present time isn't worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. May that stir up a hope in your heart today. And may you live for him. I'm gonna ask, and Tesco, would you mind coming and jamming for us? Thank you. Lightly, not jamming. <laughs> and I'm going to ask if you, I'm going to pray. And actually, I'm going to ask if you can come forward and, and grab these elements as Nateska plays, and take their time. And once everyone is, I'm going to pray, and you spend as much time as you need with the Lord this morning to preach to yourself the gospel truth. So I know, I know we're late. I know I've given you two minutes to do this all in. But the value of Jesus is an offer for you to be reminded about that this morning. So come forward, come and grab. Uh, these elements.
Let us pray. Father, we can't help but marvel this morning that you would love us so dearly, that you would send your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to leave the glories of heaven to come and live among us, to come and live the perfect life we could not live but die a brutal death on the cross for us. Lord, would you forgive us the times that we have lost sight of that wonderful truth? And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would magnify it in our hearts today. That we would be in awe and wonder that the God of the heavens is the same God who would die for us. And may that shape the way we live. Would you set our eyes fixed on you again? We, may we as people not, not only have an affection in our hearts toward the cross, but may it burst out of us toward the lost as we proclaim Christ and Him crucified to the world, we pray. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us eat and drink. So I ask that we're now we're done. There's coffee and stuff outside. If you want to spend some time with the Lord, you're more than welcome to. Uh, we will be here for prayer. If anyone wants to talk about the cross, maybe you've seen him for the first time, we'll be up front here to do that journey with you. Uh, but otherwise, if you wouldn't mind just walking out quietly and just honoring those who want to just spend some time reflecting with the Lord.